Hi, it's Josh here, one of the pastors at West Valley Christian Church, and we are on a series called How Sweet the Sound. In this series, we are looking at the amazing topic of grace and how it accepts us, changes us, fills us, and saves us. Come join us as we discover the sweet sound of grace in your life. I've been asked to share my story. I guess I should probably introduce myself. My name is Nicodemus. I uh, walked this earth about 2,000 years ago, and I know what you're already thinking. I look pretty good for my age. I was raised in a great home, uh, God-fearing, Jewish. We were taught the Torah. We memorized the Torah. We lived the law, all 613 of them. Me and my buddies, we hated studying, but we did it together for as long as we needed to. But when they stopped, I continued. I had a special love, a special love for education, a special love for learning, a special love for the law. And I continued my studies. I dedicated my life to the studies. Ended up becoming a Pharisee. I also was a part of the Jewish council, the the Supreme Court, if you may, the Sanhedrin. You could say I had it all. Life was good. I had uh, good grades, good family, good reputation, good education. But then I would lay my head down at night. I don't know about you, if you could relate to this, but everything on the outside was good, but the inside, there was a void. There was an emptiness in my heart. And I never quite knew what to do with that. And I'd wake up and I'd carry on and everyone would look to me for answers and I was part of an elite group and and sometimes that was a good thing and sometimes it was a bad thing and I, I struggled with this. I remember one night in particular as I laid there trying to fall asleep. I know now it was God. But something then in my heart was just saying, you need to go and seek out this teacher that everyone's talking about. Now, we had seen many great teachers. And actually, this teacher was also known to do miracles. And, and we had people that were doing miracles. This wasn't A normal thing, but it certainly wasn't uncommon. But there was something about this guy that was different. His name was Jesus. And I'd come in contact with him. I was a part of the crowds. And as a matter of fact, the group that I was a part, the Pharisees, we we didn't like him. We didn't like some of the things he was teaching. And uh, he was really becoming a threat but for some reason, that, that, didn't, that didn't matter to me. There was something in me that just kept saying, you need to go see this guy. And I thought, man, if I get caught, my other buddies aren't going to like this, and I might get thrown out, who knows. And then there was part of me that was like, no, 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 big deal. I'll just, go, I'll just go find him, and I'll have my conversation. It doesn't matter what people think. Well, <laughs> I thought about that, and I'm like, there's actually no way I'm going to get a one-on-one time with Jesus during the middle of the day. 
I mean, he had large crowds following him. So I thought, you know what? I got to go see him. I go see him at night. So I, I made a plan. I, you know, of course I couldn't do it that night. So I said, in three nights, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do this. Now, I knew in my heart that I was going to go do this, but I also knew I was probably not going to find him. And then I'd have my way out. Well, that night came, and as you can imagine, my heart was racing. See, I knew everything up here, and I could answer everyone's questions. What I couldn't answer was this. So I got up, and I made my way out. I remember it like it was yesterday. The sky was absolutely gorgeous, dark, but the shining stars were just lighting my path. I had no idea where I would find Jesus. I, I had an idea of where he was later that afternoon, but yeah. So I made my way, and, and sure enough, I, I look off to the distance, and I, I see an image by a tree, and I thought, ah, that can't be. But my heart was saying, go that way. So I gave in, and I started making my way closer and closer to this tree. I'm probably about 20, 30 feet away, and I could see it's a man, and he's leaned up against a tree. And this anxious heart that was pattering was all of a sudden calm. I couldn't explain it. And as I'm getting closer and closer, I recognize that shadow is now, it's that man. It's that, it's that teacher that everyone's been talking about. It's Jesus. And I walked up to him. And just standing in the presence of this man, it did something to me. He didn't have to say one word. He just looked me in the eyes. And I looked back. And I felt like our eyes were connected. Like even if I wanted to look away, I couldn't because I was just so mesmerized by this human being that was standing before me. Oh, I'm sure I had greater intellect. I'm sure I had greater success. I'm sure I knew more about the law than he ever could know. But there was still something about him that amazed me. I said, Rabbi, now for me to say that, and I don't want to sound arrogant or anything, but for me to say that, it's pretty significant. I mean, in the position that I was in, I don't just go throw that good teacher out to anybody. I said, um, you, you teach with authority. You teach with power. You've, you've done miracles. We, we, referring to me and my buddies, the other Pharisees, we, we know you must be from God, but and then I stopped right there. Well, I want to tell you something. There was a long conversation that happened. And, and as I made my way home and I got home, I didn't go to sleep. I, I immediately began to document our conversation so as to never forget what was shared. And so let me read to you what this great teacher's response to me was when I identified him as rabbi. He said, I tell you the truth. 
find that a little interesting to a guy that spent his whole life learning about, interpreting, and teaching about truth. He says, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. What? It's like, I went and I talked to him about apples and he was wanting to talk to me about figs. I tell you the truth, no one could see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. What would you think? Born, born again? Uh, Jesus, I, I, don't, I don't get this. You, you're, you're saying I, I need to enter my mother's womb for a second time? This doesn't make sense. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I came wanting to talk at this level, and he came wanting to talk at this level. I came wanting to fix things here, and he wanted to fix things here. Can you relate to that? He says, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. And again, I thought, how can this be? You are Israel's teacher, he said, and you do not understand these things. I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but you, but still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except for the one who came from heaven, the son of man. I'm just sitting there listening to this man. I was amazed at every word that came out of his mouth how it wasn't stuck here, but it immediately went to my heart. It was like my heart was an empty glass and he had a pitcher of water and he was just filling it, filling it with what I needed to hear. And then he says this, he says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. There he is again. I'm talking about and figuring out all the physical things of life. And, and, and this man is talking about eternal things. And he's not going after my mind. He's going after my heart. And he grabs me when he talks about Moses. <laughs> Let me tell you, I knew a thing or two about Moses. 
I remember my grandfather teaching us as children these stories about Moses, about taking them out of slavery, out of Egypt, talking about uh, Moses and, and, and his, 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 his uh, road down the, uh, or, or his trip down the, 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 the river as a little child in a basket. I, I remember all these stories, and, and yet now he's bringing Moses in the picture, and he talks, about, he talks about a very important time in my people's history. Whether they're out there in, in, in disobedience in the desert and, and they came across thousands and thousands of poisonous snakes and they were all being bitten. And I remember grandpa telling me about some of my relatives that were bitten by those poisonous snakes. And people were just falling over left and right dying. And then Moses took his staff and he put one of those snakes on the end of it and he held it up high and he said this on behalf of God. He says, if you will look up and gaze upon the serpent, if you will pull your eyes from the pain and the hurt and the destruction that is down here and you looked up at that that serpent as I lift him up, you will be healed. And grandpa told the story of of those people that looked up and all of a sudden there was a healing in their body and they did not succumb to to the poison of those snakes. But those that were stuck in their pain, those that were stuck in their hurt, those that were stuck in their, their pride, they just withered away in death because they would not look up. And this Jesus looked at me and said, just as Moses held up that serpent, and the people had to look up and believe. So the Son of Man, he will be lifted up. And those that believe, those that look up, will be saved or will have eternal life. Again, my heart is just like, I came to talk about apples and you're talking about figs. I came to be challenged here and you came to challenge here. Here I am, a theologian talking to a carpenter. And I'm amazed at what he's teaching me. Now listen to these words that would forever forever changed me. Jesus looked at me and he said, for God so loved the world you need to understand something. For God so loved the world if you just stop right there That's in direct contradiction of what I've been taught my whole life. That's in direct contradiction to what I believe and what I teach. You see, my people were the chosen people. My people were the special elect. It was my people that God was gonna bless through Abraham. It was my people that were gonna get to go see the promised land. And this great rabbi challenged me. And he said, for God so loved the world. Not just the Jews. 
And you know what else was amazing about that statement? Like I told you, I knew all 613 laws. I, I could quote them. Some of them were ridiculous. And yet we were so concerned more about obeying these laws than we were about the lawgiver. We were so concerned about walking that tight line than knowing the one that created us. Guilty as charged. And when he said, for God so loved, I knew God's anger. I knew he was a just God. I knew some of the punishments. But the truth is, I had never really talked and taught much about God's love. And again, it was like I was able to breathe for the first time in a long time, knowing, not knowing here, but feeling that this creator of all the earth loved me. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, and there's that word believe again, over and over again in our conversation, believe. Whoever believes in him will have eternal life. And there it is again. I'm concerned about the the physical kingdom that God is gonna bring through the Messiah and and he's gonna be a king that reigns and we're gonna have all, and he's just just kind of wiping clean that picture and going, no, 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 no. We're not talking about here. We're talking about, eternity for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has believed in the name of God's one and only son Hmm. Talk about a night I will never forget. My whole way of thinking about life was challenged in one 20-minute conversation. And where I had all that unrest, all of a sudden I felt a peace that passes all understanding. I go back to that passage in Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, that you are familiar with here today, where it says that God is our wonderful counselor, our almighty God, our everlasting father, but our Prince of Peace, and I would teach on Prince of Peace, the absence of conflict. But now I was experiencing peace like I'd never experienced it before.
that love, and what I would later find out to be that grace would change me. And so I went home that night and I wrote all this down, this conversation, and I slept like a baby. I woke up the next day and and I think some of you would expect that I could say I went and, and just hung out with Jesus, tried to get in there in that inner circle and such, but no. I still kept my distance. I was still a part of the the Pharisees. I I heard all the disagreements. I heard all the banter. I heard all all the arguing. I heard all the disagreement. I I heard how we needed to get rid of this guy, how we needed to kill him. And as a matter of fact, one day when he was going around talking about he's the Messiah and he's the Christ, our guys got livid. And they said, we need to arrest this man and we need to put him in jail and we need to even think about killing this guy. And I remember I had been kind of quiet about my night out with Jesus. That was kind of he and I thing. But I spoke up and I said, wait a second, guys. Why are we treating him any different than we treat others? Shouldn't we hear him out first? And oh, that did not go well. I thought it was at that moment that I was, you know, I was shown. I was shown my, my true colors, and, and they were going to start asking and investigating. You know, why are you saying that? What are you doing? Have you turned from us and get out of here? And we're going to put you in. None of that happened, but boy, I knew that uh, people were watching. Well, One night, the, the, the sky, it grew really dark when it shouldn't have been. I knew what was going on. I heard all the talk. They had arrested Jesus. One of his disciples betrayed him. They'd flogged him. They'd beaten him. They spat on him. I heard the nails being hammered. I'd heard those nails before, but this was different. I wasn't close, but I was close enough to know what was going on. That great teacher, rabbi, He is now being crucified. I heard the screams of the crowd, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. I heard the anger. I heard my own circle being, yes, we finally got him. And yet there was something in me the whole time that said this is absolutely. the last words I heard from his mouth. It is finished. What am I to do with this? Is he or isn't he who he said he was? My mind wrestled with all of this, but my heart, my heart knew this was the son of God. 
He was exactly who he said he was. They took him from the cross. and As they took him down, one of my friends came over to me, Joseph. Joseph, I knew, he, we had had a talk earlier before, months before. He, he believed in Jesus. He didn't want it known. He was quiet about this but he was one of the disciples, a follower of Christ. He said, hey, I need you to go home and can you gather up some spices because we're gonna, we're gonna go prepare Jesus' body. So I went home and I got about 75 pounds of spices and he went home and got some linens and we came back and there was a dead, lifeless body of Jesus. And we put the spices and we wrapped up his body and prepared him. And we're carrying him to his final resting place. Now I want you to think about this. What would you think if you were me? Every step I was thinking about the conversation and reflecting back to that night and his words to me about the kingdom of heaven, about believing, about the son of man needing to be lifted up and and people looking up at him and they would have eternal life. Those words, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. I had no clue what that meant. Now I get it. This is the son of God and he gave his one and only son. He died on a cross for me. We laid that lifeless body in the tomb and walked away. Now what? Well, we know the now what's. Three days later, he conquered death. Even death on a cross. He's risen. He's risen. That would forever, that would forever change my life. Thank you for listening to my story. It would forever change my life too. It would forever change my life too. Jesus' death on the cross. If you could write a word across the cross, it would say G-R-A-C-E. Amen? He did something for me. He did something for me that I did not deserve. A horrific death on the cross so that I may have life and have it abundantly. You see, grace when fully understood, and and let me even go as far as to say this, the older I get and the longer I walk with Christ, 
the more comfortable I am to say that I don't fully understand grace. At 20 years old, I could tell you I understood grace. At 48 years old, almost 49, it's like a grease pig. Just when I think I caught it, it's gone. And I say that with a smile on my face because as good as grace is today for me, I know it gets even better. Amen. And what's beautiful about this story, by the way, this is John chapter 3, and about 90% of what I shared with you is straight out of John chapter 3 and a 10% freedom on my part. But I want to tell you, as Josh, Pastor Josh shared last week, we are accepted by grace. Today's message is about the fact that we are changed by grace. If we fully understand or if we even could get 50% of an understanding of what Jesus did for us on the cross, it would mess up our world in a good way. It would, it would wreck our inner beings in a good way to the point where it would say, you know what, you may not be all of that. You may have failed. You may have fallen short. You may have screwed up. You may have, and you fill in the blank. But God said, I am enough through his son, Jesus Christ, dying a horrific death on the cross. Amen. The blind man would say that, that now could see. The deaf person that couldn't hear, that had the encounter with Jesus, that could hear now would say that grace changed his life. The woman caught in adultery, when Jesus said, go and sin no more, she would say that grace changed her life, wouldn't she? How about the the, the paralyzed man that lay by the pool of Bethsaida? How about Saul on the road to Damascus, who who is now the, the person that we know as Paul? We have one person after another that would line up and say that grace has changed my life. And church, grace has changed my life too. But here's a question. For those of us that wouldn't say yes, that grace has changed our life, The next question is, is grace still changing your life? I don't know, maybe a month and a half ago, my family went to South Lake Tahoe, and that's a tradition that's been going for 10 plus years. My sister and her family live near San Francisco, so my mom and my family, we'd all go up and spend a week on the lake together. When my mom passed a few years ago and she was cremated, as my sister and I were making decisions on where would she want her ashes, that's where we put her ashes at Lake Tahoe. So it's even more of a special place to our families. And so we were up there about a month and a half ago, and there's this beautiful place in the south part of Lake Tahoe called um, Sand Harbor. I don't know if you've been there or not, but it's absolutely gorgeous. And in Sand Harbor, it doesn't matter how windy it is out on the lake, this harbor is just always so peaceful, and it's just a beautiful place with beautiful beach area. And there's these huge, rounded boulders in the middle of the lake that you can swim out to and jump off, and it's just a, it makes for a great day. Depending on how light, high the lake is, it depends on how high those, uh, you know, you're jumping. Well, my, my little son Easton, who's nine, actually turned 10 today. Um, who he informed me, Dad, I'll never be in single digits again. So um, there you have it. He, um, his behavior wasn't so becoming of his father, and he wasn't sharing like his father thought he should. And so I pulled him aside, and we had a very clear conversation. Have you ever had those with your kids? 
And probably, and I'm just gonna shoot straight, probably more clear than I needed to be, I was not impressed. And so even in that, have you ever had that conversation with your kid where you know you've said something that probably was a little overboard? I definitely did. And yet, we worked it out and we said, hey, let's, let's go uh, for a kayak ride. So we had a kayak and so he goes, let's go to that one way out there. So I don't know, three, 400 yards out into the lake um, are these big, beautiful boulders. And so we kayak out there and he goes, let's make an adventure out of this. I said, all right. So we jammed the kayak into the rocks so we could have a way back. And we started climbing these things. And I saw the highest point, I don't know, maybe 15 feet up, 12, 15 I said, Easton, wouldn't it be great to be at the very top of that? And he goes, yeah. I said, here, I'm going to put you up there. No, Dad, it's not safe. I said, we'll be fine. So sure enough, Dad knows better, and I get him up there, and he's up there. He's like, cool, I can see everything. And he kind of disappears on the other side. And I said, I'm going to come up. And Easton goes, no, Dad, it's not safe. I said, Easton, Dad's got this. So imagine these big boulders. Some of them are separated by about a foot or two. Some are like, you know, right up next to each other. So I'm looking at this, and I've got it all assessed. If I jump, and it's only a two-foot gap down to the water, to this other boulder, if I jump up high enough, there's just this little thing that I could grab a hold of with this shoulder. And then on, in the boulder right next to it, if I get my leg on that one, I'm going to be perfect. And I'll just pull myself up, and I'm good to go. So I jump, and part of me thinks i have part Superman or probably Spider-Man in this case, because Superman would have just flown up there. And sure enough, I landed my hand right where I thought it was going to go. And I caught that little, just that little edge right there. And then my foot, perfect, way over here. But I'm sprawled against this thing. And now all I have to do is pull myself up. Plan's executed. What I forgot is I had surgery on this shoulder a few years back. And as I began to pull up, it didn't want to go. And as I pulled up, my fingers, just my tips were on that ledge. It, they just started to slip. And at that point, I'm like, ah, oh, crud. And gravity goes fast. The more you weigh, the faster it goes, I think. <laughs> I start going. And I'm like, oh, because it's not good because this two-foot opening is going down to a one-foot opening into the water. And sure enough, I got right through that thing. I slammed my head. Luckily, I had a hat on, and it prevented my head from being split open. And I just went down as fast as you could. Meanwhile, I can't do it because this shoulder, but this, this shoulder was wedged all the way behind my head as I went down, and it just slammed. And I'm thinking, when I finally ended in the water, I'm like, something's gone. Something's broken. Something's, you know. And I hear Easton just screaming, Dad, are you okay? I'm okay. And here's what I'm going to say. It's okay to lie to your kids once in a while. I said, Dad's fine. And I'm thinking, I, I knocked my head. Everything's bleeding. And I'm like, I said, just get down and get into the kayak, and I'll meet you there. And he, long story short, I don't even know how I got through this little thing. Ethan jokes today. He goes, Dad, I don't even know how you got through that. It was like a one foot open. I said, it's because I'm skinny, son. <laughs> get in there. And I said, I need you to get back to the, the shore. And I said, Daddy will help you paddle. And Daddy didn't paddle at all because Daddy couldn't even. And he gets there. 
And we land, and I kid you not, he came running up to me and hugged me and wouldn't let go. I love you. I love you. I love you. I'm so sorry. And this, Easton, it's okay. You didn't do anything wrong. Dad's fine. You know, I love you. All day long. I love you. I love you. That night, I'm in bed. He comes in. He's just got this sad face, and he goes, Dad, I'm so glad you're still here. And he comes and jumps on me, and he says, I love you. I love you. It's been five weeks of that. Truth is, there's two stories here of grace. One is, and and this is zero exaggeration, I shouldn't be here today in this condition. As I look through all the what could have happened, it's the grace of God. But more importantly, my son as I think through that story over and over again, my son's response has been so challenging to my personal response to my heavenly father. You know why? He saved me 30 years ago and I held on to him so tight. Everything was praise God and everything was your good God and everything was, every day was a new day and every day was filled with grace. Can any of you relate to that? I was holding on so tight. But 30 years later, 30 years later, I think some of that has left. And my encouragement for you and the encouragement for me is this. If you have walked with the Lord, if you have grabbed a hold of his grace and you've said yes to him, is there any part of you that could relate to this part of the story today where maybe it's time to go back to daddy and give him a real big hug and say, I love you? Thank you for your grace, God. Because when I think I'm all that, I'm not. You've given me more chances in life than I deserve. So dad, I love you. When we understand grace that way, it changes us. It changes the way we think. It changes the way we feel. It changes the way we act. My challenge to you this morning is this. Will you let grace change you? Will you let grace change you? No matter how much you failed, no matter how bad your mind's got, no matter how bad your heart's got, no matter all the things that you've done that you could say, but, 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 but. Will you go back to the cross that's filled with unlimited grace and say thank you, Jesus, and let that change you? If you've never said yes to Jesus, if you're that person here today, will you take a walk to the cross like Nicodemus? Now here's the truth. We don't know what happened to Nicodemus. And I don't want to preach anything that says he did something that he didn't do. All we know is he had that conversation with Jesus. We know that he stuck up for Jesus in John chapter 17. 
and we know that he was there and gave part of his wealth to help prepare the body of Jesus. I think it was in John chapter 19. But I put all my money on the fact that Jesus changed Nicodemus's life. Will you let him change yours? I'm going to ask if Mandy could come up and she's going to sing a song that will be reflective for all of us. Something to think about in light of what we heard here today. God, thank you. Thank you for this time. Bless. Bless your words here in our hearts. And may we be different because we've been with you. Thanks for listening. If you found this message helpful, please help us spread the word by sending this message to a friend, a neighbor, or a family member. For more information, please visit us at wvcch.org or come join us at one of our four worship experiences. Have a great day. Again.